This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. My friend Peter Kessler is a golf historian. He's an award-winning broadcaster that has no idea where his awards are. Um, And he's uh, to whom we turn when it's time to recap a major championship. Pleasure to welcome my friend Peter Kessler back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Peter? I'm thrilled to be with you, and good morning. Um, Please tell me you thought this U.S. Open was compelling. John, I can't hear you for some reason. Oh, okay. You can you not hear me at all, or are you hearing me now? There you are. Okay, I'm sorry. Something's wrong with the phone. All right. I'm. Am I chopping out? I I didn't hear you at all, but now you're fine. Okay. Until I'm not. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, right. Peter Kessler is a golf historian. He is an award-winning broadcaster that has no idea where his awards are. And he's the guy to whom we turn when it's time to recap a major championship. It's a pleasure to welcome Peter Kessler back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Peter? I am well, and I am delighted to be with you, and I appreciate that we get to spend this time together. Me too. Me too. Uh, Did you find the U.S. Open compelling? I thought it was fantastic. I was so pleased with it in so many ways, and it also got me to reconsider some positions that I have regarding the equipment and the courses that are trying to defend against it. First of all, you know, if the nucleus of players that peopled the top of the leaderboard at the end of the championship remain on the PGA Tour, that's that was, that's the important group, Scotty mm-hmm. Scheffler, Zalatoris, Rory McIlroy, Matt Fitzpatrick. I mean, these are now our our best players. This, this is our group right now. Scotty Scheffler needs to keep keep it up. Rory needs to close. Will's going to close some important things. Matt Fitzpatrick's going to continue to do the same. And I, the thing that struck me was that the setup of the country club is really the ideal setup for pro golf right now in the sense that the equipment's not going to be rolled back. We we know that now. Or if it is, it's going to happen so far down the road, it won't make any difference to anybody. But if the courses, if the equipment stays as it is, then the country club really worked because they, as if you were an architect, you know at the country club, suppose you had just designed that, that the guys are going to hit what we used to call pitching clubs, seven iron or less in the greens. But the distances from which they hit them now were so much farther. So if you have a one a seven iron from 190, and it used to be, say, a five or, or a four or a three iron, depending on your ability as a professional, you still have to carry that same 190 yards regardless of what the club is. It'll still be affected by the wind. It'll still be affected by the vagaries of the green, by the the differences in the lie. So when the approaches are 190 plus, as they were on a lot of the holes, of course there are pitch holes too, and that should be the case. There needs to be a variety. But if we can have golf where you have greens that play this small, the smallest greens playable are typically Pebble Beach at about 3,500 square feet of pinnable surface. That's about what we had at the country club. The average tour size probably 5,500 or 6,000 square feet. So they're roughly half the size, and they had false fronts. So the greens were designed now to hold seven irons or less from greater distances, 
and they repelled Aaron Johnson. They accepted good ones, and the winning score, which I always like to see between four and ten under par in a major championship because it means the course wasn't gimmicky, and it allowed the best players to emerge and the best player of the week to identify himself with all facets of the game. So unlike typical U.S. Opens where you have to make an eight-footer for par on the 72nd hole, that wasn't the case. Matt Fitzpatrick at 17 greens, climaxed by one of the greatest iron shots we've ever seen from that bunker. Reminded me of Sandy Lyle in your town of Augusta when he won that beautiful shot out of the left fairway bunker. Uh, Phil Mickelson shot into Muirfield when he won there you know, by, by a handful of shots. A great second shot, and, and nobody had pressure on their putting, and it wasn't one with a, you know, a bunch of 2,400. It was a beautiful score, a great setup, identified the guys who were playing the best, gave us a great champion, and showed us there's a way to play golf at that level with this equipment and be able to have scores that don't trick the golf course and do expose the best player. I was thrilled with the whole thing. We're talking with Peter Kessler here on the Augusta Golf Show. Uh, seemed to be, you mentioned the country club. Seemed to be rave reviews for the country club. Why do we like the old places better than we like the new places? Well, I think we're predisposed and preconditioned, uh, for those of us who've loved golf our entire lives, to know that the classics are the classics, just like you know Rembrandt and Da Vinci and Michelangelo are the classics. And so, you know, things get compared to them. But as time is going by, the classics are still able to hold up, many of them like the country club did, to the strain imposed by today's equipment and the courses that are being renovated today. Sayota Country Club is a good example, trying to put it back to what Donald Ross designed there over 100 years ago, except to acknowledge the fact that the course needs to be of a length for really fine players that give you an assortment of second shots into the green. So the old courses are being renovated to stand up to today's equipment without violating the structure of the original golf course. So, yes, the originals are still the standard, but let's acknowledge the fact that, yes, New golf courses are being built and older ones are being renovated to bring them up to a standard that will feel country clubbish without rough being the thing that stuck out the most. Nothing stuck out. And here's another thing. I noticed that I didn't notice the name of the guy who set up the term the golf course for the United States Golf Association. When usually you hear the name Mike Davis in your sleep during that week because it's all about him. I never heard the guy's name. I never heard anybody complain. It was across the board. Yes, this is exactly what it ought to be. And and, and nobody, you know, said a word um, to the contrary. It was beautifully accepted. I mean, the television presentation was a horror because NBC tries to make so much money with these commercials and are so disjointed in the control booth about what you're supposed to show. This fascination with one foot putts from the beginning and the lining it up and the torturous walking around it. Those are unnecessary. So that while the presentation was terrible, the golf, the, the golf tournament shone through. And I noticed commercials were less towards the end of the championship. And we got to stay with the plot. 
asking the historian in you, we, Will Zalatoris, second place finish in three of his nine major championships. Does that compare with anybody in the past? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, you can go all the way back to, to Bobby Jones. Now, when Bobby Jones was 19 years old, and you have to remember, he was like the original child prodigy. So at 19, he thought he was 27, a mature golfer. And he lost in the finals of the U.S. Amateur. And uh, he lost those at Oakmont. And and, uh, and and then, of course, he would come back to play some fantastic golf there. But Jones felt that he hadn't closed quickly enough, even though he won his first major at 21. Okay, take Tom Watson. Look in the early 70s. You know, 1974 is a good example. Tom Watson was primed to win the U.S. Open at Wingfoot that year. And he shot 79 in the last round to lose it. Byron Nelson went up into the clubhouse at Wingfoot that uh, that afternoon, and they agreed to get together and work together. And uh, Byron said, "You know, I got a couple of things for you to work on." And they worked on tempo and rhythm and balance, all of the great things that Byron Nelson was so good for. Nobody had ever seen him, no matter what the line, no matter what the stance, appear to be off balance. And right after they got together, Tom Watson then won the Western Open. And then he went ahead and won a Carnoustie. And, of course, he won eight major championships, one of the greatest players who ever lived. So not everybody gets off to a rip-roaring start. Um, a lot of the greats happened to. Tiger did, Jack did, Arnold did, Billy Casper did, Leach. I mean, not everybody. And Will Zalator is only 25 years old. There's lots of really good players on tour. And he didn't lose the tournament. I mean, he's, he ate the perfect drive on 18. Yes, he missed a makeable birdie putt. They all missed makeable birdie putts. They were right there. Will Zalatoris is going to win. He's going to win a whole bunch. You can't win if you don't contend regularly. You have to contend. We talk about Jack Nicklaus's statistics from 1970 through 1980, 44 major championships, um, you know, finishing the top 10, which is the least interesting statistic in, in almost all of them. But he won 10, and he finished second and eight, and 18 out of 44, first or second. That means he was there. You can't close regularly if you're not there regularly. That's why Jack and Tiger have so many, because they contended in so many as well. So Will Zalatoris is contending, and he's going to get his chances, and he's going to close, and he's going to become a better putter inside of 10 feet on the weekends. And I love his future. I'm crazy about his game and his attitude and the way he does things. Matt Fitzpatrick won the, as we learned and as we knew, won the U.S. Amateur there at the Country Club. Do you believe, Peter, have you always been a believer in the phrase horses for courses? No. I believe it in certain circumstances. Jack Nicholas at Augusta National, um, Tiger anywhere. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I certainly, if you have had success somewhere, you go in with an attitude that's going to have your glass more than a half full. You still have to play the shots. That's why they let them play and don't crown the champion on Thursday morning before they start. You know, it's funny, too. I've been reading uh, and I've heard a couple of comments that, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick and Jack Nicholas are the only ones to win an amateur and an open on the same golf course. They forgot Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones won the Open Championship at St. Andrews in 1927. And then he went ahead and won the um, 
uh, the U.S. Amateur Championship uh, on the same golf course as the uh, I mean, the, Brit- the British Open, uh, the British Amateur, and the Open Championship, both at St. Andrews. So that's an Open and an Amateur at the same course. Just happened not to be U.S., but it's an Open and Amateur, mm. and it counts. And so great players tend to rise to the occasion regardless of what the golf course offers them. And, 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 and the good ones all know, and Jack Nicklaus has said exactly this phrase, golf is a game of constant adjustment. And then you add to that, the green speeds are going to be different. They mowed them at a different time. The wind has come up. The greens are more exposed. This side of the golf course, whatever it is, Whatever the test is, you got to know going in, you're going to stand up and take it. That's part of it, knowing that you can get it done. So Matt Fitzpatrick knew he could play well at the country club, and as the week went on, he continued to play well. But you you don't get all excited and you know, start thinking about it. You just keep doing what you're supposed to keep doing. So certainly there are guys who say, this course fits my eye, okay, or... We know that, you know, when Tiger won at Firestone every time he ever played it, but that's because he was the best player. It wouldn't matter if it was the Goodyear golf course that he won on instead of Firestone. He still would have won. But are there guys who convince themselves that certain courses are better for them from others for various reasons? Yes. Do great players ignore all of that? Of course. You mentioned St. Andrews. The Open will be there next month. Who do you like? Who, who, what are you interested in seeing next month? Well, the thing I'm interested in seeing is a lot of wind and weather. You know, we when we think of the Open Championship, we typically think of its identifying factor as being the the, the, the weather uh, having a significant impact. And of course, like the old course, where when I played in the Dunhill Links, I could drive a, a, a nine and ten and twelve. I'm not even a very good golfer, so these guys are using much less club to drive. Some of the par fours, nine, they can hit with a long iron. Ten, they can hit with a long iron or a hybrid. Twelve, they can hit with a driver or a three wood. So if, but you know, it's it's a it's a fascinating course. Obviously, for a, a, a great number of reasons, the double fairways, the first course that had all of the things that we we see now, where where the rough goes, the the double greens, the double fairways, the uh, the way the rough was moved to the side, so it, it's not a part of the play, but. It's a short golf course, and what they've done, of course, is they have you know the seven golf courses there in the complex. So they've taken teeing grounds, take them, took them out of bounds off of the old course, placed them on another golf course to drive a ball back over the OB mm-hmm. into the old course. So if there's no wind, they're going to shoot twenty under plus. If there's wind, then we could get a score like ten to fourteen under, which would be fantastic plays like the old course, then there isn't anybody in the field who's a super player who hasn't had the experience of winning or competing at that level who won't be able to compete. And that's why Tiger has a chance because, first of all, the course is completely flat. It's so hard. The ground is so firm. It's the only course that when you walk it, at the end for the first time, the soles of your feet hurt. You actually ask the caddy, and he says, yes, it's the, the firmness of the ground. So there's no hills. It's a flat walk. There's no distances between you know, greens and tees as the old courses, which you bought up being so fantastic. That's one of the reasons you didn't have to drive in your cart for 20 minutes to go to the next tee. But anybody can win. The guy who wins is going to be the guy who gets the most balls around the hole from inside of 125 yards. 
and makes them. This uh, last week was about pars and the occasional birdie. The old course is going to be about lots of birdies, all pars, no bogeys, and you're going to need to shoot five under a day, I'm guessing, almost regardless of what the weather is, unless there's you know, a freak hard storm, which you don't want. You don't want it unplayable. You want it to be a challenge. But I don't like Rory's chances because he's the worst among the best players inside of 125 yards. That's why he didn't win last week. He, he, he doesn't, his pitching swing is his driver's swing instead of his pitching swing. We're good players like Sam Snead and Tiger Woods um, and Bill Mickelson can turn the lower body through together when they pitch. But Rory, like his driver, sends his hips first, which is why he gets so much distance, among other reasons, on the driver, but has distance control with his pitching club. So for a guy like Will Zalatoris or Matt Fitzpatrick or Scotty Scheffler, who are great inside of 125, I'd be looking for one of those guys to win the championship. We're talking with Peter Kessler here on the Augusta Golf Show. Um, a lot's happened since you were last on the program. I haven't had the chance to ask you this. Uh, the Live Tour, give, give me your thoughts on what's going on now. Well, what's going on now is, you know, as we've discussed, it's the only sport that isn't fractured by having competing leagues of the best players. Now, the Live Exhibition Series hasn't quite fractured the tour, and I've noticed an interesting trend, which is a lot of the bigger names who have signed contracts with the Live Exhibition Series are damaged goods. You know, Brooks Kepka just signed up, and he wasn't going to sign up, and he was taking a tough stand. He signed up. Why? Because he's hurt. He doesn't want to do the rehab. He's already got four majors. He's got plenty of money. Here's a way for him to retire. That's all that's about. Bryson DeChambeau, damaged goods, hasn't played well, physical issues. And then you have a bunch of guys you've never heard of, like Brooks' brother, Chase. So you, it's, it's a 48-man field that stays constant, so there's never any new blood injected. You play the same guys in a series of 54-hole no-cut shotguns. Fans aren't going to be into that. There isn't any television. Not one network around the world has agreed to show that golf. They had to put it on YouTube, and of course they did a nice job with it because they had really good people producing it, and they didn't have any commercials. It's a lot easier to do a good job that way without the constant interruptions. But I think either the the, the prince who's bankrolling this is going to get bored or Fred Ridley is going to come out and say, and to me this is the, the whole nexus of it is, Fred Ridley has not said a word. He's not said a word because it's the right thing to do. He's in a position where he can watch, wait, and see. The other championships didn't have any choice. The Opens came right after the live announcement. The PGA came right after. No chance to rejig your field. The Masters is almost a year away. Fred Ridley's not going to let the live players um, play next year, and he's going to announce that at some reasonable point before year end, and, or he may announce it if somebody like Colin Moore Carr or one of the key guys you want to keep on the tour looks like he might defect and force Freddie's hand. I think he's the most important man in golf. I think he lost the battle to change the equipment as witnessed by your photograph that you posted on the internet 
showing the building of the new 13th tee at Augusta. He's owned the land for a couple of years. He wanted to see if they uh, listened to him on the equipment. They don't. He's going to just do whatever he has to to make sure that these guys have to hit shots from 190 to 240 into the holes and and continue to do what he's done, which is to restore the tradition of, of, of approach shots with mid-irons without which you wouldn't have had Walter Hagen or Arnold or Tiger or Phil Mickelson or Leach. So many guys, Seve, hitting five irons from awkward angles. So I think Fred's not going to allow the live players to play. I think that's going to nip it in the bud. And I think that the Prince will get bored. Same 48 players, no revenue. It's not really a business, no advertising sales, no fans, really. It's not a product. It's not a business. It truly is an exhibition. An exhibition shouldn't be crammed down the, uh, into our viewing so many times a year. An exhibition is something you want to see occasionally, or for Jack when he was 70 to play in occasionally. But these exhibitions are not compelling theater. It's not a business. It's not the best players. It's also Rands. It's guys who were hurt. It's guys who wanted to cash a check. And again, like Phil, who either needs the money or just can't get past the concept of wanting more. What does Phil want? More. So I think that Lib will die, and I think Fred Ridley's going to be the guy to pull the trigger. He's Peter Kessler. Peter, I always appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Great to be with you. I love your question so much. You're a great friend. Thank you, John.